0: This is the, uh, the fourth week, and um, the, the, as we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's written by the Apostle Paul, and it's called Caught Up, this study. Being caught up in hope uh, means being caught up in Christ, um, and, and who He is, and what He has done for us uh, on the cross. And, Man, you know, in the past 10 years, uh, we've seen, um, there's this, there's been this boom of social media, right? You've seen it. Um, you know, I'm on it, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you know, most of you are on it, I would imagine. Who, who's, is everybody on social media here? Raise your hand. Is there is there like one person that's not? <laughs> yeah, for the most part, everybody's on there. Everybody has an account, whether you're on it or a lot, I don't know. Um, but everybody's got something, and... Man, lots of good things about it, Um, staying in touch with people, but man, there's really actually so many things that are are not good about it, and uh, social media, it really... What we see is it gives anybody, uh, the your average person, uh, the forum to share uh, info with many people, uh, a widespread amount of people. Before social media, we didn't really have that, you know? We got our information from one select source, was probably Action News, right? Action News 6. I know that's how it was me for me growing up, that's just where we got our info, was from Action News. And then in comes the internet and social media, and now, man, there's so many different sources as we can get information from and uh a the, the random, normal person just like me or you, we can just put on social media whatever we want, uh, whatever we want to say, and it's going to go to thousands and thousands of people, uh, maybe even millions of people. And man, there's something kind of good about that, but man, there's something that can be really bad about that. And uh, what we're seeing now is because of this, there's just been this proliferation of uh, fake news. You guys know about fake news? I mean, yeah, like... Anybody can say anything they want, and they can say it's truth, and it goes to thousands and millions of people. Um, and, and what we find on social media is just this phenomenon called fake news, and it's really dangerous. More people than we would care to know uh, have an agenda. They have an agenda that ultimately um, they're not really trying to serve the good of everybody. They're really just trying to serve the good of themselves when they're uh, pushing and promoting uh, fake news. And you got these networks and organizations. They're trying to sway opinions and beliefs in a particular way. And you don't really know what's real or not, right? Right. The things we see now out there, you you don't really know if it's real or if it's not. Is this truth? Like, you know, there's just not a lot of trust out there um, on the internet uh, and elsewhere. And man, you know, uh, and reading today's scripture uh, and studying it, and um, I want to ask you guys, and I've asked myself too, uh, as we live our lives, are are people getting uh, the real you? Are people getting the real you? You know, when somebody converses with me, are they getting, like, the real Brian? Um, are they getting the real you? When, when the facade is stripped away, you know, because it's kind of human, we tend to just kind of, like, wrap ourselves in a facade, and uh, we have a public life that can be different than our private life, um, and we have this facade. And when you strip all of that away... My grandmother's calling me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh me. When you strip all of that away, uh, what do people see? Man, what do people see? Uh, who are they getting to know? What do they see, man? Do they see, you know, uh, just thinking about like Wizard of Oz, you know, do they see this guy behind a curtain, like pulling all these levers and stuff like that and pushing buttons because he's, he's projecting, you know, uh, the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz isn't real. It turns out that it's just this random like munchkin dude, like pulling levers and buttons, right? Is that kind of how we're living our lives? Is that how we're operating, you know, uh, um, I love those Marvel movies, you know and there's there 's the character loki you know uh thor 's brother, and you never really know like is this Loki or is it not loki because loki 's like this this the this this guy of mischief, and he changes himself to look like somebody else whenever he wants to, and as you watch those movies, like you never really know like even the characters don 't know like if it 's Loki or not, it looks like Loki, but you know. You don't know, uh, you know, because he's, he's putting up something that, that is really not true, but claiming that it is true. You know, today, it really begins a section where Paul uh, is defending his own character. He's defending his own character and ministry before the Thessalonians, uh, and he's doing this because Paul has a lot of enemies. Uh, he has a lot of enemies in Thessalonica, and they're trying to discredit him. They're trying to discredit him uh, in his absence, because if you remember a couple weeks ago, he he planted this church and preached the gospel, and all these Jews, Greeks, and Romans came to Christ, and they formed this amazing united church of love and faith and hope. Um, But then there was a ton of persecution when that happened. They were attacked, so they had Paul leave after three weeks. Three weeks went by, and he had to leave. Also, he has these enemies that are trying to discredit him in his absence, especially because of his fast departure, having left so abruptly. They told lies. They told lies. They told fake news. They told fake news about this message that he was preaching and fake news about Paul. They told fake fake news to the church to discredit Paul and the gospel message, right? They told fake news saying that Paul was telling fake news. (laughs) That's kind of what was going on here, they tell fake news, saying that Paul was giving fake news. So through Paul's defense that we see uh, today, and really I think uh, next week too, or the next two weeks, uh, uh, through Paul's defense, we really learn about, um, we learn about these things that we experience in relationships that Paul experienced uh, with this church. We learn about um, authenticity, and we learn about uh, vulnerability. Uh, when we're, uh, you know, communing with other people, and we learn about integrity. Our integrity and all of these things, vulnerability, authenticity, and our integrity as credits, as credits to the gospel message. Uh, not really credits to us. You know, Paul, Paul, uh, the, his, the number one purpose in his life was to make sure the gospel had of the integrity that it needed. That was his sole purpose, you know. Um, But he knew that the way to make sure the gospel message had integrity, he had to have integrity. So Paul, you know, having, maintaining integrity, it wasn't about like him serving himself. It was about him serving the gospel. And he knew, again, that if the gospel message is going to have integrity, we need to have integrity. If we don't have integrity, the gospel message that we say or preach or live by, it has no integrity whatsoever. So Paul, he kind of, um, he's going he's to take them back in time To these three weeks that he was with them, and he's gonna be, and he's gonna say, like, listen, you 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 knew how I lived among you, like you saw how we lived among you. Um, That alone should tell you the integrity of the message that we preach. Um, So that's really what we're gonna see here today. And just to give a little context before uh, we get into the scripture, so. Man, Thessalonica was this large, really important port city, one of the bigger cities in in the Roman Empire at the time. And it was like because of it, it was it was a, a large port city. Lots of people from different places came in all the time. You know, it, it, it happens just like today, like New York City. It's just like this big melting pot city where there's like all kinds of cultures. Um, and as a result, uh, there was just like a staggering amount of like religions that were in the city because it was such a melting pot and because it was so big and uh, because of there was a staggering amount of religions, man, there was a a staggering amount of religious professionals, a a lot of religious professionals in Thessalonica. And most of these religions, they were missionary, they were missionary minded and they sought to spread their faith using itinerant preachers, right? All these different religions. So it's not really different from Paul, right? It's not really different from Paul. Um, Paul was doing the same thing. You know, he was an itinerant preacher. He was preaching a message of, of belief, of faith. Um, he had this this gospel message, so it wasn't he was it wasn't much different than that. But like there was a difference. So what was that difference? What made Paul and his message of the gospel stand out? from all of these other religious professionals and what they were preaching and their messages. And we're going to see that uh, in in today's text. What made Paul's message and what made Paul himself stand out from all of these other religious professionals in this city? And a lot of these religious professionals were his enemies. They were his enemies um, uh, trying to distort what the people were thinking about him. So let's get into the text. It says this, starting in uh, chapter 2. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 12. And it says this. It says, uh, For you yourselves know, brothers, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not in vain. So what, he, what he's talking about there, some, some other translations, instead of saying vain, uh, it says Results. You know, uh, it was not in vain. Their ministry wasn't empty, is what he's trying to say. It wasn't ineffective. Um, It it, it wasn't for just themselves. It came with results that had an impact on them, not so much on Paul. It wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about themselves. Um, This ministry, again, it wasn't empty, and it wasn't ineffective, and it wasn't for just themselves. Now, the preachers of the day... They brought empty, ineffective messages uh, to the people that were ultimately for their own gain. That's what these other religious professionals were doing. Paul's presence, Paul's presence, and his message of the gospel brought results. It brought results. It brought transformation, and we saw that uh, two weeks ago, and we saw it last week. Where what wh- what were these results? Faith, hope, and love. Right? These people, their lives changed. They had these, They had this transformation that they didn't have these things before faith, hope, and love. In the Roman Empire, they're going around. There wasn't a lot of love going around. The Roman Empire was a very oppressive place uh, at that time. And all of a sudden, their lives are transformed by this gospel of Jesus Christ, and they have all this faith, hope, and love. And again, all these Jews and Greeks and Romans, all these different people that were divided and they were at odds with each other, they were now united. And in loving one another. Man, that's huge. That's huge. So Paul's like, man, this has results. This has results. This was this wasn't about me. This was about you. Look, look at yourselves. Look what's happened. Look at to the, look at this community. This was not in vain. This was not in vain. This came with results that had really nothing to do with me, Paul was saying. It wasn't about me. Man, then in verse 2 it says it says but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi as you know we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Man, Paul and Silas they they were they were willing to go the distance. They were willing to go the distance in their calling and it showed in their suffering. It showed in their suffering. Listen, Paul's basically like, if I was serving myself, I wouldn't share the gospel with you. I wouldn't do it because, look, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. If I wanted to serve myself, I wouldn't share the gospel with you because if I didn't share the gospel with you, I wouldn't suffer. But Paul's like, we suffer. We suffer for this. We suffer for this message. And if I was serving myself, I wouldn't tell you this message. Nobody would willingly suffer as they did for something that they knew wasn't true. Would you suffer like this for a message that you just knew wasn't true? They know that it's true. They know that it's true. So they are willingly subjecting themselves to suffering. He's telling the Thessalonian Christians, like, look at us. Like, this is a message that's truth, and we are suffering for it. Guys, the preachers of that day, the religious professionals, they wouldn't do this. They hadn't suffered. They weren't suffering for their message. They weren't doing this. They didn't go the distance for their people. They didn't go the distance for their people. Suffering is, man, suffering is just central to the Christian faith. It's, it's central to the Christian faith. And, you know, suffering, it, it might be, like, the worst part about life, right? Like, nobody here likes to suffer. I don't like to suffer. I hate suffering. I'm a baby when I get sick. Like, I don't like suffering, whether it's sickness or, I don't know, somebody's slandering me or whatever it is. I don't like to suffer. It could be a lot worse things. And yet, suffering is probably the most important thing about our faith, And because as followers of Jesus, suffering is the most important thing about our lives, right? It's the worst part about our lives, but it's the most important part about our lives. Because Jesus showed us on the cross, man, Jesus was like, listen, I lived a perfect life and I suffered. I suffered for it. I was persecuted for living a perfect life. So what do you think is going to happen to you? You're not going to live a perfect life. Now you're going to suffer, but because of the resurrection, he shows us, man, that's the, our suffering is not the end of the story. Man, we're going to be resurrected even in this life and in the next life. We're going to have this transformation. That's not a message that came with these religious professionals of the day in Thessalonica. That's not a message that came from these enemies of Paul who were slandering him and trying to discredit him and his message. Suffering was central to Paul's life, for better or for worse. It was central to his life. It was the worst part about his life, but it was the most important thing about his life. Whatever God calls us to, first and foremost, he calls us to the gospel. He calls us to faith in his gospel of grace and dying for us on the cross and dying for us. After that, beyond that, whatever he calls us to, we should count the gospel. We should count the cost. We should count the cost and be willing to accept everything that comes with it. We should be willing to accept everything that comes with it. And because of this, the, the truth of this message of the gospel, Paul was willing to go the distance for these people. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to go the distance uh, for this faith and this message that he was preaching. And it's the same thing for us. Man, you know, we're not called to build half-constructed towers. We're called to go the distance and finish what we start. Man, if I put my faith in Christ and I was baptized in Christ, God is calling me to go the distance and to finish this. He's calling me to finish this life, to persevere, to know that I'm going to suffer. To know things are not going to go well sometimes, whatever it is. But he calls us to persevere and go the distance. Our suffering is going to give credit to the gospel message. It's going to credit it. It's not going to discredit it. The world will probably see, oh, well, you know, he says all this and believes all this, but he's suffering. Right? The world will be like, no, like, who, who wants to suffer? Like, that's a bad message of the gospel. no. We believe in this truth and we're willing to suffer for it. Our suffering is actually a credit to it. When somebody sees us suffering and we still believe, when somebody sees us suffering and we persevere in faith, when somebody sees us suffering and we still love people around us unconditionally, that is a credit to the gospel. That's a credit to the gospel in our lives. And that gives great glory to God. That gives great glory to God. If the message isn't real and how I've been transformed isn't real, then I can just stop and I can just jump ship and it doesn't matter. But it does matter because it is real. It is real. The gospel is real. Transformation is real. This calling is real, so we continue despite trial. And it's all a credit to the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying here. We're suffering but it's a credit to the gospel. Look at our lives. Verse, verses, three, verses 3 through 6, it says this. It says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Man, what we really see here is, is the, the source of Paul's boldness and, and, and their commitment. We see the source. Where's that coming from? And what we see here really is just this is coming from the fact that God is witness. God is witness. You know, you see Carson Wentz with that like a one tattoo, right? And we all love Carson Wentz in here. And audience of one. That's what that is. It's audience of one. Carson Wentz lives for an audience of one. Man, he doesn't really, like, on some level, we should care about what people think, you know? We have a reputation we want to uphold, and we want to have integrity, you know, in the eyes of God. So, so that can be a credit to what we're living by, this gospel message. But at the end of the day, all that really matters is, man, what God sees in me, in my heart, that's, we really ultimately just live for an audience of one. Because we don't have control over other people in our lives, Man, we want to live with integrity, and we want, to, uh, we, we want to do it knowing that we're doing it in front of an audience of one, and that's God. Paul, he never flattered. He never flattered. And you, you guys know what, like, flattering means, like, to flatter? It's, it's kind of like using uh, fair words, like, nice, fair words, right, for gaining your own ends for selfish purposes. That's kind of like what flattery is. And he didn't do that. He never did that. Right? He, pre- he preached a difficult message. Like, hey, this truth, like, look, look, this is a difficult message. It says that I'm a sinner. Right? That's definitely not flattering. <laughs> it's not flattering to, like, you know, tell, you know, to, to, you know, help people understand that, man, like, we're sinners. Right? But then he, he shared this other side of the message, too, that's a part of it, is that despite our sin, God loves us. And he wants to have a relationship with us. So he, he gave the whole message. He didn't just give the good stuff. He gave the bad news, too. He gave all of the truth and he didn't flatter with his words. These religious professionals in Thessalonica that were giving out all these messages, they were flattering. They they, they were flattering people with fair words to gain their own ends. And Paul's like, no, that's not what we're doing. We're not doing that. We're not flattering you and trying to gain our own uh, selfish ends in this. The pro-preachers, I call them, the professional preachers, they were opportunists. They were opportunists. Paul and Silas were not opportunists. They were opportunists, these professional uh, preachers who flattered and they took everything they could from their listeners. And then they moved on to the next city. They just moved on to the next section of town. We start here, take what we can from these people, right? And then they move on to the next and take from these people. And then they move on to the next section of the, town, of the city and they take from these people. They just keep taking and taking and taking from people. Paul took nothing. Paul took nothing. We're not here to take, but we're here to give. We're here to give. And I'm not gonna flatter you with words, Paul is saying. Guys, we shouldn't be flattering people with fair words for our own ends. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be honest with people, whether if the truth is hard or if the truth is easy. We should be honest with them. We should be honest with them with the Gospel message. We should speak the truth in love. We should speak the truth in love, but we should be honest about the whole truth, not just the truth that sounds really nice and good. We gotta give them the bad news. We gotta give them the bad news. We have to live it all out in our lives. When Paul ministered among the Thessalonians, he wasn't concerned for his advancement. He wasn't concerned for his personal glory. He wasn't concerned about having fancy introductions when he came into town. Everybody look, it's Paul, right? He didn't care about that. He didn't care about that. His satisfaction came from his relationship with Jesus, not praise from people, not praise from people, It came from his relationship with Jesus. Paul didn't seek glory or acceptance from man. His needs for security and acceptance were met primarily in Jesus. Paul could say, you know what, it doesn't matter that these people are attacking me or beating me or don't accept me. The person that matters the most, God, accepts me. And man, I'm good. After that, I'm good. I have God on my side. And he's content with that. He lived from an understanding of his identity in Jesus. And listen, that that God is witness, you know, that can be like really sobering. You know, it can be really sobering to, to, uh, to understand that we're basically naked before God. Not just like physically, you know, we wear clothes and all that, but just naked in the sense that like emotionally and physiologically and psychologically, there is nothing that God doesn't know about us. And sometimes we try to like hide little things. We have like our little corners and skeletons in the closet. God knows everything. Man, there's something really sobering about that, right? There's something really sobering about that and kind of like a little scary, Right? Because with God, we can't hide anything. And yet, despite that, uh, knowing that God is witness, it can also be very freeing. Because no matter what other people say about you, man, God knows my heart, right? I could be living with integrity. But other people might not think I am, but if I know I am and my heart is right and I'm I'm confessionary and I I repent um, and and, and in God's eyes, I'm I'm right with God, it can be incredibly freeing to know that I'm good with God. And that's, that's all that really matters. That can be very freeing. So what matters most is not what others think about you. What matters most is what God knows about you. And that's kind of how Paul is operating here. You know, Paul has a past. Most of you know Paul's past. He was persecuting and heavily, violently persecuting Christians before he became a Christian. He has a past, but he met the resurrected Jesus. He came to Christ, put his faith in, the, in Jesus and the gospel message, and his life transformed completely into a life of faith, hope, and love. He didn't have those things, But he has this past, but he's like, I'm good. I've I've confessed. I've repented. God knows my heart. And I'm on this track now. and, And I'm good. Are you guys good? Paul was authentic. What we're seeing here is from his lack of flattering words, Paul was authentic because the gospel freed him to be authentic. Nothing to hide. He freed The gospel freed him to be authentic. The gospel, you see, it humbles us. It humbles us and it exposes our pride and our true selves as sinners, but it secures us and it fortifies us because despite my sin, God loves me and he died for me. God loves me and he died for me. So because I'm secure and fortified, right, I can be authentic and I can be vulnerable. I can be authentic and real with people, because I am secure and fortified in the person that matters the most, and that's God. Do we have that in our lives? In verse seven, it continues, verse seven through 12. It says, but we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Also our own selves. And that's kind of where I want to focus on with this scripture. And he continues, "'Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also.'" How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each other, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul and Silas we see here. In the previous scripture, we saw they were authentic, right? Here, we see that they were vulnerable. They were vulnerable. Not only did they share the message with them, not only did they speak it verbally to them, they lived with them. They lived among them. They shared their lives for three weeks. They shared their lives with these people. The religious professionals who sought gain for themselves weren't vulnerable. They didn't didn't live with these people. They didn't share their lives with these people. They would just come in and preach and then get their followers and then they would just leave. And go do the same thing somewhere else. Paul and Silas, they set up shop. They set up shop and they lived with these people for three weeks. They lived life in a way that wouldn't discredit the message. They lived life in a way that wouldn't discredit the message, and Paul came to only give to the people, not to take from them. He treated them in such a way as to not discredit the gospel. Paul truly loved the people in this community. You can see it in his writing. He truly loved these people. Man, when you when you begin any relationship and you see somebody as being made in the image of God, right? When you see somebody as being made in the image of God, you'll love them, and you'll be gentle. With them because God is gentle with them. And that goes for anybody, even an enemy. Even an enemy. Even an enemy. When we see somebody as made in the image of God, you'll love them and be gentle. You'll also be encouraging and challenging like a father is with his children. You see, he uses these relationships as analogies gentle with them like a mother with her child, and challenging and encouraging like a father with his children. If we desire to connect somebody to the gospel, if we desire to have a deep and meaningful relationship with somebody for the glory of God, then we must be willing to open up. We must be willing to open up and share our lives with them, to open our door to them. They need to understand that you have fears, you have struggles, you have worries. Nothing wrong with that. Remember, we can be authentic. I'm good with God, so I can be vulnerable. I can be vulnerable. That's what was happening when Paul was living with them. Paul and Silas. Hey, I got fears. I have struggles. I have worries. I've got all of these things just like you. People need to understand that you have weaknesses, that you have strengths. Because it's not about you. It's about God and his strength and what he's doing in your life. Deep and meaningful relationships are at the heart of following Jesus. That they're at the heart of following Jesus. Not so for the religious professionals of the day. They weren't in it for relationships. They weren't in it for relationships. That's not what it was about for them. It was for their own ends. It was for their own gain. They wouldn't get close to their hearers because they had a lot to hide. They had a lot to hide. They had a lot to hide from, from people. Paul had nothing to hide. First, because he had nothing to hide from God. God knows everything about Paul so he could be vulnerable with them. And he was more than willing to allow the facts to speak for themselves. Paul's own transformed life speaks for both the integrity of the gospel and the integrity of himself. The scripture says, it says, you are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you. Just look at how we lived my life and how I live is a reflection of the message that I'm saying. Look at my conduct. Look at my conduct. He says, devoutly. That just means God's name and God's will and God's kingdom were at his first priority. It was his first priority. And he says, righteously. That just means conduct. He lived their lives with honesty and integrity. No flattering. Remember? lived their lives with honesty and integrity, and avoided any appearance of evil. And then he lived blamelessly, not sinless, blamelessly. They knew they were targets, people were watching, but they lived above reproach because of that. They lived blamelessly. And he said, look, look at our lives. So you can see Paul is giving uh, this, this defense of his ministry and the message that he preaches And he's trying to credit himself, not for his own end, but he's crediting himself so the gospel message can be credited. And the people can trust that message. If they can't trust Paul, they can't trust the message. If they can't trust us, they won't trust the message that we live and that we preach. Man, when we're real and vulnerable is when relationships begin to thrive And ministry really starts to take root around us. That's why marriage can be so amazing. That's why marriage can be so amazing because nobody sees our real selves more than our spouse. Man, when you're living together, you can't hide anything, (laughs) for better or for worse. There's a lot of worse, you know, in our house. Stephanie knows me a lot better than, you know, I would want anybody to know me, man. But that's why marriage is so amazing and beautiful because. Your spouse sees you as you really are, as you really are, right? But also in marriage, you're never more vulnerable. You're very vulnerable in marriage because you're living together and you see each other's weaknesses and your strengths. And yet, that's why it's amazing. But on the other hand, that's why marriage can also be very ugly and dark. Marriage can also be very ugly and dark Because one or both spouses aren't being real. One or both aren't being authentic. One or both are not being vulnerable. Man, And if just one spouse isn't being that way, it's going to be an ugly and dark relationship. But it's amazing when both are living that way. And that's just an example of how the gospel works itself out in our lives and in a marriage. I want you guys just to think, you know, considering... Considering Jesus was the most authentic person who ever lived, who was the most vulnerable person who ever lived, shouldn't we be authentic and vulnerable? Now, for some of us, that's a step of faith to be vulnerable and to be authentic with people. But shouldn't we be? Being authentic requires us to be vulnerable, just as Jesus was. And God expects us to be real, not perfect. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just expects us to be real. To be real with him and to be real with people around us. That's kind of what Paul is saying. I'm real. I'm not perfect. But man, you're getting the real Paul. You're getting the real Paul. I have been real with you. I have been authentic and I have been vulnerable with you. Should the gospel ever be discredited in our lives, should it ever be discredited to somebody outside of you, maybe in in your family or a friend, should it ever be discredited, let it not be on account of the way that you're living your life. Listen to me. Let it not be on account of the way that you're living your life. Let the way you live your life credit the gospel. If you're doing that, it's all in God's hands. It's all up to him. That's our job. Our job is to live our lives through the strength of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit and live our lives in a way that it's a credit to the gospel, not a discredit to the gospel. Just like those fake news articles out there, all that fake news on social media, you know, they're giving info to people, they're giving news to people. Our lives give news to people. Our lives give news to people through the way that we live our life. But the difference is, our message is credible. message is credible because of how it has transformed our lives for faith, hope, and love. That's what makes it credible, is the transformation and then how we live our lives and the integrity for which we live our lives.